the verses to challenge us with something, help us to be attentive, help us to not be uh, distracted or to be a distraction. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave here a little different than how we came, that we would actually come to church and grow and learn something and, and change a little bit. I love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, if you look down at verse number 9 in John chapter number 15, we preached last week in John 15 um, on the subject there of uh, the vine and abiding in Christ and bringing forth much fruit, so we're not going to deal with that subject uh, tonight. But if you look at verse 9, we're going to deal with a, se- a different subject that is found in, the, in this chapter. The, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So Jesus Christ, we find Him again. You know, uh, John chapter number 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all just a uh, discourse that Jesus is having, a conversation or a, a, a lesson that I guess He's teaching to His disciples. We understand that it's the night before He dies. He, he's, he's going to die the very next day. And, uh, you know, we're preaching through these chapters, um, but this, this is all one, you know, conversation he had with them. And um, he gives them this challenge there in verse 9. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. He, Jesus explains that uh, the, the Father has loved him, and with that same love, or in that same manner, he has loved them. And then he challenges them, and he says, Continue ye in my love. And the rest of the chapter, for the most part, there's a few times where he's talking about abiding in Christ and all that. But the rest of the chapter, what I'd like to focus in, in on is he he is explaining to them how to continue in his love. He said, "Continue in my love," and he explains to them how that is uh, to be. If you look at verse number ten in John fifteen ten, he says, "If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love." These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So in order for us to continue in His love, He explains to them, in order for His disciples to continue His love, He says, you must keep my commandments. Now go back with me to John chapter number 14, and we looked at this when we were in John 14, so I won't spend too much time in it. But if you look at verse 15, in John chapter number 14, and verse 15, the Bible starts, the, the verse starts off with this word, if. And He says, if ye love me, Keep my commandments. Look at verse 23 in the same chapter, John 14, 23. Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Look down at verse 28 in the same chapter, John 14, 28. It says, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. And he says, If ye loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So you notice that Jesus does not take our love for granted. He does not assume that we love Him. He does not, he does not assume that we, um, you know, that, that, that we care about Him or that we want to serve Him. He questions it with this uh, two-letter word. He says, if. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in John fifteen ten again, when He tells them, I want you to continue, I want you to abide, I want you to continue in my love, He says, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So he, even then, he's, he's saying, look, how are you going to abide in my love? By keeping my commandments. You know, and um, God does not only, you know, we would think on a human level to question, you know, if you would imagine questioning your parents' love as a child. If, if a child went to their parent and said, you know, if you love me, you know, they probably end up with a spanking. You know, because it would be rude to say that. But Jesus has uh, no problem with questioning our love. He says, if you love me. 
And not only does he question our love, but he fully expects us to prove our love to him. Look at verse 14, John 15:14. He says, "Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you." So he says, look, I expect you. He said, I don't, I don't really question your love for me. I expect you to prove it. He said, here's how you're going to prove it. Here's how you're going to continue my love. He said, keep my commandments. You know, and, and we said this uh, last time we were in John 14, so I don't want to spend too much time, but I just want to bring it up again. You know, none of us, if Jesus were to appear to us, you know, today, and one day Jesus will appear, you know, one day we will be raptured up, uh, um, and, and we will uh, meet Him in the clouds. And if we were to, I mean, no person that, that's saved, who actually understands what salvation is, when they stand before God, whatever look at Jesus Christ in the face, whatever look at Him, you know, the Bible says we'll see Him, and we'll see His uh, scars, and we'll see the, the, the nail prints, on his hands, and we'll see, uh, you know, the, the 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 wound on his side there, and, and, and we'll look at Jesus, and nobody would ever look at Jesus and say, "I do not love you." But the truth of the matter is, we're going to get to heaven, and really, you know, because we're going to be rewarded based on did we keep God's commandments? You know, did we follow what He said? And your rewards or lack thereof are going to be a very uh, you know, clear presentation of your love to God. And many people are going to get to heaven and it's going to be evident to everyone else whether they lived a life that they did or did not love God. And you know, to me, I would be embarrassed to get to heaven and say to God by, you know, because we're going to be playing by His rules. Because all of us are going to be saying, you know, you know, we're getting to heaven. I mean, every time that Jesus appeared to anybody in the Bible, you know, or in the Old Testament when God would appear to somebody... They would fall on their face. They would cry. They would say, you know, and I'm sure all of us are going to get to heaven and just say, oh, Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we want, you know, thank you so much. But the truth of the matter is, words are cheap. And Jesus is going to know exactly who loved him. Because you can be saved and not love Jesus. You know, you can be saved and not keep his commandments. And we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be very clear those who did and those who did not love Jesus. And no words and no crying and no emotion and nothing we could say is going to, you know, for eternity settle the fact that, you know, it's just the fact that we lived on earth and we did not love Jesus because we didn't keep His commandments. So He's explained to His disciples, He says, I want you to continue in my love. He said, but here's how you're going to do it. You're going to keep my commandments. So in order to continue in His love, we must keep His commandments. But not only that, point number two, in order for us to continue in His love, we must love one another. Look at verse 12. John fifteen twelve. He says this, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. If you look down at verse uh, 17, John fifteen seventeen, He says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. And like I said, a lot of these teachings is all in, you know, a uh, week's time. So if you go back to John 13, look, look at verse 34, he kind of uh, is saying the, exact, the, the same thing. I'd like you to see it in verse 34 of John 13. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So he said, you know, how are men going to know if you're my disciple? He said, if you love one another. He said, if you, if you love each other. He said, he said, I want you to abide in my love. He said, here's how you're going to do it. You've got to keep my commandments. Because if you don't love me, you're not going to keep my commandments. But he said, not only that, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to love one another. He's talking about loving other Christians. Loving other people in church. Loving other disciples. He said, you know, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, keep your fingers there in John 15, because we're going to be coming back to that. But go with me to the book of 1 Peter, towards the end of the New Testament, and look at 1 Peter chapter number 1. 
First Peter chapter number one, towards the end of the New Testament, and look at verse twenty-two. First Peter chapter number one, and look at verse twenty-two. The Bible says this: Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned, and look what it says: Love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. That word fervently there means, um, it has a, 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 an idea of like fire. You know, you think of fervent heat is what the Bible says, you know, later on in, in Peter also. And that, that word fervent, you, you have that desire, you have that fire. You're, you're doing something with, 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 uh, with emotion. And he said, I want you to love one another with pure heart fervently. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 17. If you just flip the page, 1 Peter chapter number 2 and look at verse 15. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, I'm sorry, verse 17, 1 Peter 2, 17, he says, honor all men. He says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You know, 1 Peter 2, 17 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just love it because it's just a verse compiled of just a bunch of, you know, small statements. He says, honor all men, period. Love the brotherhood, period. Fear God, period. Honor the king, period. You know, it's just a verse with all these... Uh, uh, short statements, and I, I really like how it sounds, you know, but, but he says there, love the brotherhood. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 8. The Bible says this, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. He said, love as brethren, be pitiful, uh, be courteous. So, you see there, he tells, Jesus tells them to love one another, and then, and Peter, it, it uses this word, brethren. You know, brother. He said, love as brethren. He said, love the brethren. He said, love the brotherhood. And you know, the reason he uses that terminology is because we're all siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now notice, the, the Bible doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't use this term. He doesn't say, love the family. Because we're not really, a, you know, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we are a family in Jesus Christ. But at church, we're not really a family because there's no father. You know what I'm saying? There's no mother. You know, we're not Catholics where, where some guy stands up and he says he's Papa, you know, while he's wearing a dress, you know, like a woman. Uh, you know, he's dressed like mom, but he says he's dad. You know, that's not how, how church is. And, and the truth of the matter is, for us, you know, we're, we're all brethren. That's why he says, love the brethren. He says, love the brotherhood. Because, you know, as a pastor, I'm not the dad. You know, and I, there's no dad. You know, God is the father. So when, when he's talking to the church, he says, hey, you, you guys are all brothers. There's no, no hierarchy. There's no aunt. There's no uncle. There's no dad. There's no mom. He says, you're just all siblings. You know, some of us preach, some of us don't, uh, but we're all brothers. And he says, love the brother. But the idea there is that we're a family and we ought to love one another. Go, go with me to First John. Look at First John chapter number 3. If you're in First Peter, uh, you're real close to it. Just uh, keep going towards the end of the New Testament. And you'll find there First John chapter number 3. First John chapter number 3. Look at verse 11. First John chapter number 3 and verse 11. He says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at verse 16 in the same chapter. It says, hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, you know, it's easy to say, love the brotherhood. 
It's easy to say love the brethren. It's easy to say love one another. But I like in 1 John chapter number 3 because he, he begins to get down to the practicalities of it. He begins to get down to the nuts and bolts of it. He said, here's how you're going to love. And in verse 16 he says, he says, look, hereby perceive we the love of God. He said, you know how we know that God loves us? Because He laid down His life for us. And He said, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in verse 17 He says, but whoso hath this world's good? And see if his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And really, that's what love is about. God says, you know, God doesn't want you to love Him just with uh, words, just with a flapping of your tongue, saying, oh, I love Jesus. He says, prove it. And then God tells us to love one another, and He says, don't do it just with words or with tongue. He says, do it in deed and in truth. He said, you know, love is action. He said, love is when you actually do something for somebody. Love is when you actually pray for somebody. Love is when you actually help somebody. Love is when you actually take concern for somebody. You try to do something for them, and you try to be kind to them. That's what love is. Look at John chapter number 4 and verse 7. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse 7. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through Him. Look at verse 10. He says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. You know, and, and the, the question is this, do you love the brethren? You know, do you love the brotherhood? You know, I can honestly say before God, with a pure heart and conscience, I can say, you know, I love the brethren. I love the brotherhood. You know, because I, I, there's no one that I, that I, you know, I love church. And, and really, that's what it comes down Do you love spending time with your siblings in Christ? Do you love coming to church? And do you like uh, rallying around the Word of God and rallying around, you know, the, the songs of God and the music of God and, and, and the prayer, you know? And, and do you just love being around, you know, your brother? Or do you love being around, you know, all these unsaved people and all these, you know, just these co-workers and these people we go to school with and people we should be kind to and people we got to deal with from the day to day, but are those the people you love, or do you love the brethren? We ought to love the church. We ought to love each other. You know, and, and the truth is this, you know, I, I remember when I was in basic training. I was in basic training for, um, I want to say, it was seven weeks at that time, you know, and I was probably in my fourth, my third or fourth week. I was like halfway through. And you know, I made some friends and acquaintances, just people that, you know, you just kind of learn to survive with. You find the ones that can roll the socks the best, and you find the, you know, brother, you know how that goes. You find the ones that can roll the, the, the shirts the best, and you can, you know, find the ones that do different things, and you guys do favors for each other, so nobody gets yelled at or whatever, you know. And, and you have people. But I remember, I was about three weeks or four weeks into it. I remember I was like, I was definitely halfway through, um, maybe just a little bit more halfway through. And I remember um, I, I was sitting, it was late one night, it was like, 11 or midnight, you know, it was dark and we had our flashlights on because we were supposed to be sleeping, but nobody sleeps in boot camp. You get work done while you're supposed to be sleeping. And we had our flashlights on. I remember I was sitting across the bed from this one guy and uh, I was helping him roll his, his, uh, his shirt. And, um, and, and we were talking, you know, and I was, and I started, I, I started to give him the gospel is what happened. I started talking about the Bible, whatever, found out he was saying. And he was actually saved, you know, and I questioned him. I said, do you know for sure if that day you go to heaven? He said, yes, I, 
you know, I, I, yeah, he's like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I said, is there anything you can do to lose it? And he's like, no, it's eternal. It's, you know, you know, it, it's forever. I cannot lose it, you know. And he was really saved. And we got to talking some more. And it turns out he was an independent, fundamental King James Bible, you know, uh, his parents got saved down at Lancaster, I want to say, um, you know, uh, at West Coast, you know, or whatever, and he was just a fundamental Baptist, you know, and we didn't agree on 100%, obviously nobody does, but I just remember, you know, it took about, after we found out, you know, that we were both saved, it took like 30 seconds for us to just become best friends, and I was, and we were like, joking around about like, Man, you know, because the thing is, in basic training, there's two bays. We, you know, it was the same flight, but you, you slept in different, and he slept in the other bay, which is why I never really talked to him that much. And, you know, I was like, man, we've been in this flight together for four weeks, and we never, you know, and from that moment on, we, and we went to basic training together, and we were, you know, friends at basic training, I mean, at tech school, and we went to church together in tech school once, you know, my wife and I gave him a ride, because he didn't have a car and stuff, and we became, and we just hit it off, and for us to basic training, we were just, you know, we pray together, we read the Bible together, you know, at night, whatever. And it just took, I mean, literally a guy that I'd never met before, a guy that I knew nothing about, just as soon as I found out, hey, he's a brother, and just immediately became best friends. You know, just, you know, and everybody else that used to, you know, be kind of our, it was just kind of like we forgot about them and we were just friends, you know. And that only happens in Christianity. You know, that only happens, you know, only in Christianity can you travel, you know, halfway across the world and sit down and meet somebody who's a Christian and just have sweet fellowship with them. Because the Bible, but see, the Bible commands us to love the brethren. And we ought to love the brotherhood and we ought to love other Christians. And, and even if we don't agree with them 100%, you know, as long as they're saved, we ought to have love for people. And God says that we continue in His love when we love others. Go with me to Romans chapter number 13 and look at verse 8. I'll show you something else in regards to this. Romans chapter number 13 and verse 8. All of this is really just one huge circle. And you'll see this before the service is over. Because in Romans chapter number 13 and verse 8, look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter number 13 and verse 8. The Bible says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. If you remember, Jesus Christ said this, If you love me, keep my commandments. What are his commandments? His law. But in Romans 13 it says, hey, if we love... One another, we fulfill His commandments. We fulfill the law. So He says, hey, you know, He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, if you uh, love me, you're going to love your brother. But then in Romans 13, He says, if you keep the commandments, you're going to love the brother because love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, it's just one huge circle. He says, when you, you know, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So we ought to learn to love each other. You know, we live in a society today uh, where people just pride themselves on being rude. People pride themselves on, on, on just being blunt. People pride themselves on, on you know, they, they think, you know, you talk to the average person, people think it's, it's a, this great characteristic to just, you know, say whatever's on your mind. You know, just, it doesn't matter if it's rude, doesn't matter if it's mean, doesn't matter if it's going to hurt somebody, just say what you think, and, 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 so, and that's supposed to be some sort of characteristic we all admire. And the truth of the matter is, you know what, the Bible says sometimes it's just 
wiser for us to just keep our mouths shut. And we ought to learn to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You know, and I think we have a lack, especially even in Christianity, a lack of kindness and love and long-suffering and patience towards one another. And look, I, I'm speaking for myself. You know, it's something I need to uh, work on. But I think we all need to work on. I think we can just, if we would, if we would figure this out, love the brethren, love one another. You know, all these other things would just fall into place uh, perfectly. But anyway, let's go back to John chapter number 15 and look at verse number 13. John chapter number 15, look at verse 13. I love how Jesus, you know, because Jesus is God, He's able to make certain statements that don't, you know, if we said something like this, it'd be pride, but... You know, we know he's not filled with pride. He's just God, so he can say whatever he wants. But look at John chapter number 15 and verse 13. I love how Jesus says this. He says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He says, you know what? When a man lays down his life for his friends, he says, you know that that man, he says, there's no greater love. He says, there's no, you can't get more love than that. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then I love the very next verse. He says, ye are my friends. You know, and really if you think about it, you think it sounds kind of an arrogant statement because he's telling us, you know, the proof of the greatest love in the world is, is that um, someone would lay down his life and he uses his word for his friend. In the very next statement he says, you are my friend. So he's letting them know his intention because you got to keep in mind, in 24 hours he's going to die. You know, the next day he's going, you know, later on this night he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put through a mock trial and, and later on the next day he's going to die and he's telling them, hey, the greatest love anybody has is when somebody would die for you, for their friends, and he says, ye are my friends. He's saying, look, I'm going to die for you. And in order for us to continue in his love, not only, number one, do we have to keep his commandments, not only, number two, do we have to love one another, but in order for us to continue in his love, we must understand his love. We must understand his love. See, he, there is no greater love than the love of Jesus Christ. He says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, ye are my friends. He said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father have I made known unto you. Now look at verse 16. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now I'm not going to focus on the fruit part, because we focused on that last week. But if you look at the first part of that verse, he says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That reminds me, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. First John 4.19, he says, the Bible says, We love him because he first loved us. You know, we, he loved us, so we love him. He didn't, we didn't choose him, he chose us. But here's the thing. He says there's no greater love than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, ye are my friends. And if we are to continue in the love of Christ, we must understand the love of Christ. Now go with me real quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5. We're doing good on time. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5. Look at verse 14. In order to continue in the love of Christ, we must keep His commandments. In order to continue in the love of Christ, we must love one another. In order to continue in, in, in the love of Christ, we must understand His love. We must understand His love. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Bible says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we are all dead. Now the Bible says that the love of Christ, Paul said the love, the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain means to force. 
It means to compel. It means to oblige. That word oblige comes from the same root word as the word obligate. It, it means to obligate you. It means to force you. It means to compel you. Paul was saying the love of Christ constraineth us. He was saying the love of Christ is compelling us. It's forcing us. It's obligating us. Because he says, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we... Then we're all dead. Look at verse 15. And that He died for all, and they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. So He says, look, if you understand the love of Christ, if you understand that one died for you, if you understand that Jesus was beaten for you, if you understand that He gave His life for you, if you understand that He went to hell for three days and three nights for you, if you understand that He rose from the grave for you, if you understand that He did this great payment for you, He said that love would constrain you. He said, well, what does that constrain me? It means it would force you. It means it would compel you. It means it would get you to do something. It would obligate you if you understood. He said, if He died for all, that they which live should, no longer, should not henceforth live unto themselves. Look at verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 17. Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, you know, he's saying the love of Christ is forcing me, it's constraining me, it's compelling me, it's obligating me to do something. What is it obligating me to do? And he starts to talk about it in verse 18. He says, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. He says, what, what is Christ, what is the love compelling me to do? It's compelling me to go out and win a soul. It's compelling me to go out and uh, reconcile a sinner unto, unto Jesus Christ. It's compelling me to be an ambassador for Christ. You know, the word ambassador there means a representative. It's like when the United States of America sends an ambassador to a different nation. That ambassador represents that uh, nation or that president. You know, could you imagine if the United States of America... Uh, um, sent an ambassador to a different country and that, and that ambassador just did what they wanted to do. You know, the president or whoever sent them said, hey, you need to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to try to accomplish this and you need to act, you know, and just imagine if that ambassador just showed up and he just looked like a slob, he just used filthy words, he was just rude, he didn't do it, you know, you, you think, man, that's not a good representation of, of the person they're supposed to be represent, representing. But the Bible says we are ambassadors of Christ. And he says in verse 20, it's amazing because he says, We are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech you by us. He's saying, when, when, he says, when I, he says, Paul was saying, when I go to somebody and I try to give him the gospel and I try to get him saved and, I, and, I, and I'm giving him and I'm, and I'm pleading with him and I'm trying to get them to, to uh, ask Jesus Christ his name, he said, it's like God beseeching you. He said, it's like God speaking to you through me. He says, why? Because I'm an ambassador. He said, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. He said, we went instead of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He said, for He hath made Him to be sent for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know what this tells me? That if you are not a soul winner, that if you are not actively trying to get somebody saved, if you are not actively doing the job of an ambassador, and, and the Bible makes it very clear, reconciling a sinner to Christ, then you are not constrained by the love of Christ. 
Because Paul said if you were abiding in the love of Christ, it would force you, it would compel you, it would get you up on Saturday morning, it would get you up on Sunday, or it would get you up whenever you decide to go. It would get you going and it would get you out there to be an ambassador for Christ if you were constrained by the love. But you know why so many do not knock doors? You know why so many do not go soul winning? You know why so many do not do the job of an ambassador? By the way, the job of an ambassador is a 24-hour job. The ambassador was representing, you know, an ambassador represents that king or represents that nation all day long. Not just while he's doing his job, but at home, the way he dresses, the way he acts, the way he looks, the things he does, the places he goes. And, the, and those of us who refuse to be an ambassador for Christ, I'll tell you right now why that is. They're not constrained by the love of Christ. They are not abiding in the love of Christ. That's why they don't, they don't love other people. Because if you believe that there was a hell, if you honestly believe that there was a hell, you know, I've talked to so many people out so many. Uh, Jehovah's Witness don't believe there's a hell. I was talking today to some Seventh-day Adventists who I wasn't aware. Seventh-day Adventists do not believe there's a hell. You know, if you actually believe that there was a hell and people are going to die and go to hell, you'd go warn them. But you know why you don't care? Because you don't love. That's, that's, that's it. You say, oh, that's me. Well, that's what the Bible says. He says, the love of Christ constraining. He says, Paul says, I do what I do because of the love of Christ. It's, it's forcing me. He says, it's compelling me. It's obligating me. He said, I gotta do it. Because why? Because he was abiding in the love of Christ. Go back with me to John chapter 15. Look at verse 18. We'll look at, this is, I think this is the last point. John 15, 18. We'll look at one more point. We'll get into the conclusion. doing good on time. I got this working now, so I know we have been preaching for 29 minutes and 18 seconds, and that's not incorrect. Last time I said I've been preaching for 30 minutes, and then the thing was wrong, so we're doing good. It's only been 30 minutes. Look at, look at John 15, 18. John chapter number 15 and verse 18. Very interesting. Jesus, it seems also like if he begins to speak about something else, but he's, he's not. It, it all comes together, but look at John 15, 18. He says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will, also, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You know, you say, well, I thought we were talking about loving Jesus. Why all of a sudden he's talking about the world hating us? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But I want you to listen to what the verse says. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 12. The Bible says this. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let me read that again. I don't want you to miss what the verse is saying. 2 Timothy 3 12 says, Yea, and all. That word all means everybody. He says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. See, the truth of the matter is, if you abide in the, in the love of Christ, you're going to keep His commandments. If you abide in the love of Christ, you're going to love one another. If you abide in the love of Christ, you're going to be constrained. You're going to, uh, you know, you're, if you understood the love of Christ, and you understood what He did for you, and you understood that He died for our sins, you would be constrained by that love to go tell somebody. And the truth of the matter is, if you do those things, if you keep His commandments, what's going to end up happening is you're going to live a holy, 
separated, godly life. And the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So the exact result of you abiding in the love of Christ is this, the world is going to hate you. He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hated you. You know, and that's really what's problem, the problem with the preachers of today. You know, the, the, the issue I have with Billy Graham and Joel Osteen and Rick Warren and the Pope and every other preacher on television and every other preacher who's just loved by the world is, if the world loves you, if, and by the way, if you're preaching on the television, the world loves you. Because you think the world will put us on the television? I mean, maybe, you know, even the sermon on love isn't really, on, you know, that, that nice, you know. And the thing is, these preachers who the world loves, and these Christians who the world just loves them, I've got to ask you, you know, why does the world love you? Because the Bible, God makes it very clear. If, if you love Jesus, the world's going to hate you. If you love, you know, and that's why I, I'm always wary of these churches that have, you know, the mayor will come in, or the governor will come in and just talk. You know, why does the world, I, got, I just got to ask this question, why does the world love you? Because if, if, if Jesus said, you know, it hated me before it hated you. He said, if the world hates you, they don't worry about it. They hated me before I hated you. He said, if you were of the world, it would, you know, it, it, it would love his own. But because you are not of the world, he said, the world hated you. And look at verse, it's interesting, because in verse 20 he says this, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. You know, somebody say, well, I, think I can live a godly life. I can live a biblical life. I can follow all the doctrines of the Bible. I can live this way, and the world's going to love me anyway. Oh, are you greater than Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ wasn't able to do it. Jesus Christ had this way about him, where he didn't really pick a fight, and people just hated him. Just by his mere presence, they hated him. Just when he'd open his mouth, it's like in, uh, like the psalmist said, he said, you know, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. He said, just, just when Jesus would open his mouth, he said, they just hated him. The Pharisees just hated him. The Sadducees just hated him. The people rebelled against him. Why? Because he was living godly. The world hated him. And you know, if, if you're able to just live your life and the world just love you, I, I've got to ask a question. Either, one of two things. Either you are greater than Jesus Christ, which is a lie. No one is greater than Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're just of this world, and that's why the world accepts you. Because if you were not of this world, it would hate you. Because they hated me. Jesus said they hated me before they hated you. You know, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, when, when you suffer persecution, you ought to just say, Well, praise the Lord. Maybe I'm living God. Because the Bible promises. It says, if you live godly, you will. You will suffer persecution. But here's the thing. You cannot, and this is where I'm saying it's all, it's all one big circle. You cannot love Jesus without keeping His commandments. You cannot love Jesus without loving one another. You cannot keep the commandments without loving one another, is what the Bible says. You cannot love Jesus without the world hating you. And, and then the Bible says this. You cannot love the world and love God. In 1 John 2.15, the Bible says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus says, if you love me, they're going to hate you. And then, and then in 1 John 2.15, he says, Hey, love not the world. If any man love the world, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, you cannot love me and love the world. 
You know, in, in Matthew 6.24, he said, no man can serve two masters. He said, you can't love the world and you can't love Jesus at the same time. He said, you're either going to love Jesus and hate the world, and by the way, they're going to hate you, or you're going to love the world and not have the love of the Father. Go with me, this is the last place I'll have you turn. James chapter number 2, I'm sorry, James chapter number 4 in the Old Testament. And we'll be done tonight. James chapter number 4. He says, you can't see, you can't love the world and Jesus. You say, I love Jesus, but you love the world. What, you're lying. You say, I love Jesus, but the world loves me. You must be of the world. Because they, they, they hated Jesus. He says, love not the world, these are the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at James chapter number 4 and verse 4. James chapter number 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not, and this is very interesting to me. I, I think we look past this verse sometimes. We, we minimize the importance of what it's saying. But look what it says. It says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. That word enmity means to be put at odds. It means to become an enemy. And then he spells it out. He says, Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is the enemy of God. See, God doesn't mince words. God doesn't, you know, just kind of talk in circles when it comes to it. He makes it very clear. He says, you love me, the world's going to hate you. He says, you, if you love me, you're gonna, you can't love the world. He said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. And he, and, and he goes as far as saying this, if you're friends with the world, he said, you're my enemy. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, could you imagine if I, if, if, if I just went to you and I said, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, that guy over there, He's my enemy. And, and if you're friends with him, you're my enemy. I mean, you know, we would think the mature thing would be like, hey, you know what, that guy's my enemy, but you're my friend. If you're his friend, that's fine. I just want you to understand, we don't get along, but we can still be... Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that'd be the mature thing? But God's just like, no. He says, if you're friends with the world, he said, you're automatically my enemy. You know, and we ought to be careful where we position ourselves and our children... Because, I mean, understand what the Bible is saying. The moment you become friends with anybody who's not saved, God says at that moment you position yourself as an enemy of God. I mean, isn't that amazing? That's what he said. He said, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is the enemy of God. You know, this is just one of the thousands of reasons why I'm against the public school system. You know, because the moment I put my, pub, my kids in a public school system and put them in a classroom with 30 unsaved kids, they're going to eventually, you know, obviously become friends with those kids. And the moment they become associated in a friendship with any unsaved worldly person, the Bible says, they automatically became an enemy of God. Now, that's, why I don't, that's why I'm against putting my kids in organized sports. That's why I'm not going to put my kids in a little league. Because when you, here's the thing, when you help your kids, or when or you help ourselves, you know, if we join clubs, if we join places, if we go to places where we just, you know, that's why you ought to love the brotherhood. That's why your friends should be Christians. That's why your friends, your social life should, you know, be wrapped around the church and the Bible, because the moment you become a friend of the world, God says, you just became my enemy. You think, oh, I could it be, look, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm all for being kind to unsafe people, but no unsafe person is my friend. Period. Say, so, well, what about your coworkers? The only time I befriend a coworker is to try to get them saved. As soon as they have, as soon as they make it clear that they have no desire to hear anything about the Bible, I am kind to them. I am friendly with them. I am an acquaintance with them. But there is no friendship there because you know what? I, I cannot afford to have God become my enemy so that I can go golfing with somebody, or I can go bowling with somebody, or I can go have lunch. 
with somebody. Hey, God says when you become a friend of the world, work through. That's what he said. Jesus said, continue ye in my love. But that wasn't a flippant statement. He says, you're going to have to choose. Joshua 24.15 says this. Joshua said this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, and I just want to say this. We as Christians need to just figure it out and need to decide either we're going to choose to serve God and love God and make friends with God or choose to befriend the world, but you can't do both. You can't ride the fence. You're either going to be friends of God or a friend of the world. You know, the Bible said, made this statement about very few people. Abraham, Moses, very few people were called the friend of God. And that's what I want to be. I want to be the friend of God. And I want to position my kids to be the friends of God. But you can't, you can't do both. So let us just decide, you know, we're going to continue in the love of Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, Lord, so much.